if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, join me this morning in Romans chapter 3. We're going to be in the first 20 verses of that chapter as we actually finish um, this intro to this letter to the people in Rome that uh, Paul is he's laying out some pretty heavy and even sometimes critical stuff, but he's setting, he's setting the stage for what's next. And, and we'll, we'll start digging into some of that next week, but we've got to finish this this morning. And the way that we're going to start this out to, uh, uh, to talk about what we're digging into, I want to ask you a question. And I'm just, I'm kind of curious if, if you have responses, but I'm just kind of curious to see how you physically respond to this question. But it is, what are rules for? I see one smile at least. What are rules for? What, what are laws for? And you have learned by now that I love definitions, so I looked up the definition of what is a rule. And it's one of those, it sounds all technical and complicated. A rule is one of a set of explicit or understood regulations or principles governing conduct within a particular activity or sphere or control over dominion over an area or people. That's what a rule is. It's, it's a, it's a, there, there is an element of, of control to it, uh, but an element of instruction. And even an element of safety, if you think about rules, there, there are good things to rules and to laws because they keep us, sometimes, they keep us from doing dumb stuff. But sometimes some of us take rules and laws as a challenge, right? It's, you know, the speed limit is 75. And that's a strong suggestion, right? It's okay to laugh. It really is. It's a suggestion, right? Because we all know that if we push it to four to five miles an hour over the speed limit, they're probably not going to stop us. So we don't go 75, right? We go 79-ish. Because it rules, right? We, we're going to push. We're going to push the limit. And, and I thought it'd be fun this morning just to kind of look at a couple of rules because there's a ton of them. And I think, honestly do, I think some of them are silly. I don't think the speed limit is silly. I, I think speed limits are a good thing because there is an element of control that we need on the highway. Uh, I still remember, and this will age me, but I still remember when the speed limit went from 55 to 60. And we all thought that we were on running the Grand Prix or on the Autobahn because the speed limit was 60. But anyway... Now it's 75 and even 80 out here on the tollway. But here's some rules that I think are kind of interesting, silly, fun. Um, you don't see this sign much anymore, but it used to be pretty prevalent. No shoes, no shirt, no service. Y'all remember that rule? That is one that I, I wonder, really, I do, I wonder, why did that have to even be put in place? Why did that have to be put in place? I mean, I just... I, I don't know why somebody would just walk in in their shorts to eat in a restaurant. But anyway, no shoes, no shirt, no service. That was, that was the first one that popped into my mind when I was thinking about rules. This one is actually my favorite, my 2022 favorite. This rule tops them all off. In schools, 
for Halloween. The rule was no masks. I mean, think about that. All that our teachers have done for three years, literally, is get kids, tell kids, put your mask on. Remember, teachers? Put your mask on. Keep your mask on. Don't take your mask off. This year, for Halloween, the rule was no mask in school. To me, that one, that is my favorite one of this year. I, I love that rule. I laughed about that rule when I saw signs and, and heard about that one. Uh, some more that make no sense to me. No white after Labor Day. Who came up with that rule? Who cares? Right? Who cares? I know some of you do. I don't. Uh, it's a color. White's a color. You can't eat dessert first. Dumb rule. That is a dumb rule. You can eat dessert whenever you want, especially beginning and end of a meal because it's dessert. Or for breakfast. It's food. It's food. That's exactly right. There's fruit in some of it, so it's got to be good for you. Uh, another good rule, no singing at the table. This was one of my mom's rules. No singing at the table. Why? I'm happy. I'm eating. I'm singing. That's a good rule. Another one. I'm, I'm going to kind of pick on my mom this morning. She's going to listen to this later, and she'll call me and tell me I was too, too mean to her. Um, don't sit too close to the television. Was that a rule in any of your houses? You know, you can't sit too close to television. It, you'll, you're, it's going to mess up your vision. And then don't swim for 30 minutes after you eat. How do you tell kids not to swim for 30 minutes? I mean... I, I know there's probably something medical about that, but I, I don't, was that a lawnmower? Okay. Um, but anyway, don't swim for 30 minutes after you eat. And did y'all notice my rules that came to my mind? Most of these had to do with food. So that should tell you something. Yeah, that should tell you something about rules and my ability to control myself at the table. That should tell you a lot. But anyway, rules. We have rules, and again, rules are good. There, there's a reason that we have rules, and some of them are absolutely necessary. But some of them, they, they seem to get in the way. And they seem to keep us from having fun. If you listen to the rule and think about the rule, you know, you can, you can come up with this, this thing, because I do this a lot. You know, it's just not fair. Who came up with that? Why did they have that kind of rule, that kind of expectation on how I'm going to behave? And then we all say this. They can't tell me what to do, right? We all say that. They can't tell me what to do. And that conjures up another question in my mind. Who is they? I mean, who, who is they? When you think about it, does it really matter? But that's what we say. They can't tell me what to do. They're taking away my fun. This, 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 and it just all goes on. And, and rules, because we have enough sense to know what to do and how to do it, right? We're adults. We have enough sense. No, we don't. That's the problem, is no, we don't have enough sense. And that's not what Paul is going to tell us this morning. But I think it kind of lightens a little bit what he is going to tell us. So let's go to the Word, Romans chapter 3. And we're going to read together verses 1 through 20. 
Um, again, if you have your Bible, you can follow along. We'll have the words on the screen, or you feel free to use your phone or whatever else um, that, uh, that you would like to use. But as Paul continues this really, for us as we read it, really difficult, challenging letter that he wrote to the church in Rome, and it was, it was challenging to them as well. We're really this morning going to kind of get into the, like the exclamation mark of what he's been writing so far so that he can then unfold for us the reality of the good news. But let's, let's take a look at this. Uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 1, he writes for us, then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Remember, he's, he's, he's really challenged the Jewish people. It's been a couple of weeks since we talked about this. And remember, they, they were even asking him questions in, in the last part that we looked at. And we concluded two weeks ago with the whole idea about rules because what we saw at the end of chapter 2 almost was where the, the Jewish people were pointing to everybody else and saying, right, see, Right, that's right, those rules, right, right, right. And remember that whole idea when we're pointing at somebody, there's three pointing back at me when I'm accusing you of something. And that's kind of where we left off last week. So to, to give you that, uh, to kind of give you that context. Um, is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Circumcision, yes. And I'm going to read from this because I can't see that page this morning. They are, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful does not mean that God will be unfaithful. But just because, no, skip on down. Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. And as the scriptures say about him, and he's quoting from Psalm 51 right here, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. But, Paul goes on, some might say, our sinfulness serves, as, serves a good purpose, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. Paul continues, of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? But someone might still argue, how can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? As some people even slander us by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Uh, verse 9 is where we are. Well then, should we conclude that the Jews are better than others? Not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As Scripture says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lip. I told you, this is going to be pretty heavy stuff this morning. Paul's, Paul's laying this out for them. 
The mouth, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Whew, right? Exhale just a little bit from, from that. And just to, uh, again, a couple of things to, to remind us what, what Paul is, is saying. So it's not all just, you can't do this, you can't do that, you wicked, wicked, wicked people. Remind a, a reminder for the, the, our study in Romans. We're looking at what Paul is declaring and what for us is the good news. That declaration of victory is we're talking about and studying what Paul wrote to us about the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. God is true. God is faithful. God is right. God is right in what he does, and that's what Paul is proclaiming for the people in Rome that applies to us today. And remember, we've, there are a lot of things that we've talked about, but that the gospel that Paul is claiming, that good news, that's the only thing. The gospel of Jesus Christ, that announcement of victory, that is the only thing, the only thing, thing that can correct all the mess that we're in. All of the issues going on in the world, the only thing that can, that can correct everything is that good news. And we're talking through, Paul has been talking through about, to us, about how we suppress that truth. How we suppress that gospel, how we, how we hold that back. And then in our pursuit of our own methods to manipulate things in the world, we exchange the truth for a lie. We exchange the truth for something that is outside of that righteousness of God, that goodness of God. And through this, through, through what Paul is writing, again, talking about the righteousness of God and being right with God ourselves and others, there's three very important things that we've landed on that for us, we've got to remember and we've got to hold on to. Um, that, that idea of being right with God. Because if we get him wrong, if we get God wrong, we get everything else wrong. We get everything else out of order and out of place. And our focus has to be on God first before everything. Our focus has to be on God before everything else. And that's hard. I get it. That's hard, but that's how our lives have to be lived. And, and then we're also talking about being right with others. And his call to our lives is to intimacy with him first. Remember that idea of God first, but it's not just about saying God is first. It's in an intimate relationship with him because he's not impressed. He's not impressed with the formalities that we go through. He's just not. He wants us to know him intimately. He already knows us. He knows everything there is to know about us. But he wants us to live in a deep, 
intimate relationship with him. And then to be right with, did I say others first? I meant ourselves. I don't know what I said. Uh, to be right with others and because it's, it's about how we're living our lives. And remember, I left you with a question two weeks ago. What do people think about God as they watch our lives? What do people think when they watch how we act and how we live our lives out? And it, comes, it actually comes to us, for us as a church, I'm mumbling all over the place this morning, to our mission statement. And some of you may not remember this. Um, and shame on me if you don't, because that means I haven't repeated it to you enough. Remember our values, loving God, loving others, and serving both, but our mission statement. To live a life of grace in such a way that it leads others to Christ or strengthens their relationship with Christ. That's what we're living for. Putting him first in that deep, intimate relationship with him so that others can see him first in everything that we do. And again, that question, what do people see when they watch us? And, and don't be mistaken. Don't be mistaken. People are watching us. Especially, especially when they learn that we're part of a church. We, that word that word church, and it's sad, right, Joe? It's sad that you, you use that word church about your life, and immediately conclusions are drawn, uh, opinions are sometimes stated, um, and then you're watched a little bit more because they're looking. People are looking for us to mess up. And, and, and this is not necessarily part of what we're talking about this morning, but it, it comes back to it. When we do make those mistakes, because we're going to, because we're human beings, we're going to mess up. That's, those are especially the times for us as followers of Christ to step up and own those things. Don't let that become fuel for a fire and for a conversation. Step up and own it. That is the witness of Christ when we're admitting, and, and I know that, that's a hard word, admit, right? But when we're admitting where we've stumbled and to own it and to not let that become something that someone who's watching us in, an, in, a, in a, a way that's not necessarily fair because they know that we're Christ followers. But then that's how they can learn about the grace of Christ because we can talk to them about how he's changed our hearts and how in the past that mistake wouldn't have been a mistake to us. That would have just been part of our lives. But now because we're in that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, we can own that and talk about the hope we have that comes through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Anyway, that's a, that's a, that's a free one this morning. And, and that's, that's for Heath too. I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not criticizing anybody in the room. I'm talking to myself first. But let's go back to, uh, to Romans chapter 3 and, and look at some of those things that Paul is, is writing for us. The first is we're starting out in the chapter. It, it, can, you, can, you picture, can you picture this debate that's going on? Because you remember as we wrapped up chapter 2, we were, we were seeing where, you know, 
the, the explanation that Paul was using, you know, it would be real easy for people to point fingers and say, yeah, them, 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 and, and not acknowledge that the root of the problem is, is with themselves first. But it's like a debate is going on here. But here's, here's kind of how this, how this lays out. Paul's probably not, scholars believe, he's probably not actually in a, a, a face-to-face debate with somebody. But for years, here's, here's the, the thought, for years as he's traveled on his missionary journeys and as he's, he's gone to Jerusalem and he's gone to places and he's proclaimed the gospel, there's been plenty of people argue with him. There's been people that have argued with him about what he's saying and even, even debating with him as he's, as he's trying to share. And remember, Paul, one of the first places that he goes when he goes into a new city is to the synagogue where the Jewish people meet. And imagine the debates that took place in there. And then just on the, on the streets as he's walking and sharing and witnessing to people, and I can even imagine people chasing him down to argue with him because in the law, they're right and he's wrong. And that's, that's the stance that he's had to face so many times. So this, this debate um, that we're, we're seeing is not necessarily a face-to-face debate. It's kind of like one of those, um, um, what's the word I'm studying? I'm really having a hard time this morning. But just like a rebuttal to these arguments that he's faced over the years. And what he wanted the people to understand as he wrote this and as they read it is he wanted them to understand that, yes, because he even says it, yes, verse 2, there's a great benefit to being a Jew. And he wants them to understand that they did have a great advantage, but they missed a golden opportunity. That's what he's wanting them to understand. And he even shows it with Scripture. In that first part, he's quoting from Psalm 51. And in the second part of the, of the verses we read this morning, we'll, we'll look at those in a second. He's quoting from several different places. But he wants them to know that they were given, they were given in their hands, literally in their hands, they were given a great advantage of the whole revelation of God, all of God's plans, all of God's purpose, and everything was pointing to the Messiah, and what he was trying to get them to understand is that they had used it. They had used it as a strategy to exclude other people. They had used their heritage. They had used the law to exclude the others, the Gentiles, the Greeks, to to leave them out. And he's reminding them that the whole thing was pointing to the Messiah and the promise that they knew from Scripture. And what was God's plan back to Abraham was that through the people, the world would know. That was the plan. The plan wasn't to set up a club that met at the synagogue and left everybody else out if they didn't have the bloodline and the physical signs of being a Jew. That's not what the law was for. And Paul is reminding them of that, and he's showing them how God has remained faithful to his promise, the promise that they missed, the Messiah that they crucified 
He's trying to get them to see what they missed. And he's trying to get them to understand that they, as the Jewish people, as the promised people, the ones that had the gift, that they too are just as enslaved, just as caught up, just as wrapped up in sin as everyone else is, but they also have the opportunity for the gift of mercy and grace and salvation that's available for everyone through the new covenant in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he wants them to see, and he's trying to get them to understand in a, in a, in a debate with them of sorts that God will judge everyone righteously, including them. That the law alone, the old law alone is not their salvation, but the new covenant in Christ is the salvation for the world. And he wants them to quit sitting on, sitting on what they have so that they can understand the reality of what they're missing. Does that make sense? He, he's, he's desperately trying to get them to understand. And then moving on into verse 9, as I told you, he's using Scripture to show these things to them. He's using the very Scripture, the law, that they're holding on to to remind them of what they've missed in all of this. And if you look back through verses uh, 10 through 18, as the Scripture says, no one is righteous. No one is truly wise. All have turned away. Their talk is foul. Their mouths are full of cursing. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery follow them. They don't know where to find peace because they have no fear of God at all. And man, it, it just... I, and when I read these kind of things and, and the way Paul lay this, lays this out, I don't understand how people can't connect the dots. I really don't. And, but I also know that we've got 2,000 years of advantage because we've had scholars that have studied this out and pointed all these things out to us, right? Because sometimes, and, and I'm the same way, I don't want anybody to think that I'm not, sometimes we read the Word and we just don't understand. It just doesn't make sense, right? It, it doesn't. And that's okay. That's okay. God, as we grow in our faith, He's helping to develop our understanding. We don't, we don't know everything and get everything automatically, so we have this advantage, but... Man, I just, I sometimes when, you know, I, I read this, and again, over time, I don't understand how people can't get and understand what he's saying because I, I can just see a man, I know this is a letter that he wrote, but I can just see a man that's probably stood literally on a rock on a corner and, and said these same things to a crowd and just wondered, how do they not get this? How did they miss the goodness of God in all of this? And it's, it makes me think, too, kind of in, in our realm, because we, we process some things slow, right? And sometimes we miss things, but people can see our hearts. And again, that idea of what are people seeing when they're looking at us? Are they seeing Christ? Or are they seeing somebody that's saying something but not living 
something out. But what if we walked around? Think about this for a second because this is actually pretty scary. What if we walked around? Remember, cartoons have the bubble above when you read the paper especially. Does anybody read the paper anymore? No, I do. But anyway, we, you go to the comics in the, in the paper, and they've got the little bubbles above the head. What if we walked around with a bubble above our heads? What would people see? Think about that. What would people see? Would our bubble say what we feel exactly? Would our bubble say, I got all this right and you don't? I've got an advantage and you don't? I know Jesus and you don't? Is that what our bubble would say? Would, would our bubble, the message of our heart, would our bubble say, I am chasing after God and, and I love God and I want you to know Jesus Christ? Or would our bubble say, I know more than you. I'm better than you. I have something that you don't have. It's more than being spiritual. It's, it's our heart. It's what we're living. And so many times I'm afraid. Like, like Paul's telling the people in Rome, I'm afraid for us so many times this is true. We're just using God. We're not following Him. We're not committed. We're not in that deep, intimate relationship. We're, we're, just, we're just using Him. And we even... We even say that to people. Maybe not with words, but with our actions especially that bubble out of our hearts. When, back to rules, we replace the authority that God has in our lives with our own rules and our own superstitions and our own standards and good. That word that we like to throw around, good, it's jaded because it means what we need it to mean in the moment. We exchange good for what we want and how we want to use, how we want to use God. And nothing about that, nothing about that justifies us. Nothing about that speaks that I'm a Jesus follower. It speaks I'm a Heath follower. I got this. I'm going to do this my way because I know better. Who are they to tell me what I can do? Straight out, of, straight out of what Paul is telling the people that he's trying to get to understand and to live by hope or live out their hope in Christ through the revelation that they receive because they know. They've had it, and they should get it. But they don't. And he tells them, verses 19 and 20, that the law alone doesn't justify them, that it reveals in them what their hearts are not capable of doing apart from Christ. That's what our rules reveal about us that bubble above our heads sometimes. It reveals about us 
what we're not capable of doing apart from Christ. Do you know why we sin? Does anybody know why we sin? We're weak. And because we're sinners. We sin because we're sinners. And this is, for me, kind of the the crux of what Paul is saying and the reality for us and the challenge for us. And again, I don't want this, and, and none of this, this first part of a very difficult letter, don't want this to be one of those things where you go away thinking, man, I am doing nothing right. I can't do this. Everything that he's saying in writing to these people is me, and I just, I can't do this. That's not, that's not the goal, that's not the purpose, and that's not the heart. The heart, the purpose, the goal is for to us to understand, to really truly understand as believers in Christ the depth of the problem. The depth of the problem of sin. The depth of the problem that's in us, naturally in us and part of us. And that apart from Christ, we cannot do this. And for us to really understand, maybe for the first time or the, the tenth time, and that's okay too, to understand and to come back and chase after that intimate relationship with Christ and let go of the idea that religion will just fix everything. Religion won't fix anything. And again, that's what Paul is trying to get the people to understand. Religion doesn't fix it. Relationship. Relationship changes everything. Relationship changes the game. Relationship changes life. And relationship is what gets us and puts us right with God. The only way to be right is in that intimate relationship following God first in everything. Amen? In everything. So as, as we go away today, again, don't go away. Don't, don't go away with a heart that's defeated. Please don't do that. Don't go away with a heart that's defeated. Well, I just, I can't do this. All these rules, and I just can't do this. Because it's not about rules. It's about a relationship and allowing God to change our hearts day by day. It's never, and until we're called home, it's never going to be complete. So don't think I'm a failure. Live in the truth of the hope that you have in Christ, knowing that there's a tomorrow. There's tomorrow. You don't have to give up because today was a train wreck. You've got tomorrow. And thank God, thank God for grace and mercy, right? Thank God for grace and mercy. Let's pray together, and then we'll worship together also. Father, we are this morning, we're just so very grateful for your grace, your mercy and your love. But God, 
I pray that for us this morning, we can truly realize and remember even that it's not about, it's not about following rules. And it's not about trying to do all this stuff right. It's about surrendering our lives to you completely and allowing you to change us one step at a time. And God, again, thank you for your mercy. That you are growing us as we go. So God, my prayer this morning is that maybe again for some of us, we can just look up and look to you again and get out of that, that heart and that weight that we're carrying around of failure and inadequacy, but that we can look up to you in hope and in love, knowing that we're yours that we can trust you. So God, again, as, as we worship you, Father, I pray that our heart's response to you, as always, would just simply be yes to a deeper relationship, to intimacy, and to following you first. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll be in the back. Karen will be in the back. If, if you need someone to pray with you, we would love to do that. And if you're here this morning, you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Or maybe, maybe in life there was a time you thought, but now you're not so sure. We'd love to talk to you about that as well so that you can know that the hope that you have is in Christ alone. So as we worship, as he speaks to you, you respond to him. with no place to go is there a person in the mirror you don't even